Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode 51 of the Global Geek News Podcast, the first podcast of 2010. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are awesome. Oh, that's good. How was your New Year's? New Year's was fun. I uh, had a small get-together at my place, um, wore some silly costumes, and, <laughs> and just watched uh, the ball drop and shut off some some poppers and that's about it had had a ton of food um it it was fun it was nice and relaxing yeah sounds like your evening went better a whole lot better than mine did Uh oh well i show up home from work my grandmother's here which that's kind of unusual not that much but as soon as i walk in the door she tells me she has cancer it's like oh oh well this is quite the way to end the year but yeah that wasn't too much fun, and then after that, the rest of the evening wasn't too bad. But it, after all, I did have it was pizza night, so it can't get a whole lot better than that. But I didn't even—I don't even think I was awake until ten o'clock. I, I think I was in bed before ten o'clock, so I didn't even stay up anywhere near New Year's. Oh wow! I'm sorry to hear that. How bad's the cancer? Don't know. She's supposed to go in for. A, some kind of like an MRI-type test or something like that on Wednesday. So hopefully we'll know a little bit more after that. But yeah, it, it didn't really take me by surprise just because I knew there was some testing and stuff going on for it. But it just kind of took everybody else by surprise because nobody else knew about it. But Well, other than my grandpa. But yeah, hope, hopefully things will turn out well. I don't know. I'm... Kind of nervous to see what the um, results show up. I, don't, I assume we that she'd get them by the end of the week, but I don't know. But oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Now that I've taken the show to a sad place, a um, little bit more unfortunate news. We're supposed to have a new intro for the show this week. I didn't quite get it done. I mean, it's basically done, but... Just at the last minute, it just didn't feel right to me, so we're gonna introduce that next week, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna make a huge improvement on the quality of the show. I think working on maybe some outro stuff too, but don't forget you can also check all of our check out all of our stories and everything at globalgeeknews.com, which is where you can also find the link to the blog, which is globalgeeknews.com/blog, and you can find all kinds of other stuff there and everywhere. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show. But um, uh, that's all I can think of. Unless you're you ready to jump right into the stories, or is there more you want to chat about? Nope. Let's go into it. Let's talk about Ping FM. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure I necessarily care for this acquisition. I mean, it's not bad. But apparently, as of this you th- morning, you think it? Do you think it's bad for Ping or bad for Seismic? Um, I'm going to go with bad for ping. Okay. But apparently as of this morning, Seismic acquired ping.fm. No clue how much they paid for it, but apparently there's was quite a bit of um, stock changing hands and stuff like that. But personal guess, I'm guessing somewhere around $5 million, but I'm not real sure on that number. That's just kind of a ballpark guess. But I don't know, I... The whole deal to me just doesn't... 
mean, it seems like a decent match, but I'm just not sure what Seismic can bring to Ping.fm compared to what Ping can bring to Seismic. I think it's probably um, a cashing-in point for them. They're probably tired of managing it, um, because it did start off as a hobby and kind of just took off. I think it got unwieldy for them and a little too big for them to manage, and maybe they just want to offload the responsibility and go back to having the fun of actually developing the service. Um, there's a, a video on on YouTube of Louis talking to the founders, and you can tell that, um, that they're not polished. Not I don't mean that as a negative, but it could be the reason why they feel that you know they they don't have the stamina to to deal in the corporate world as in uh, shaking hands, giving pitch speeches. Maybe they're just willing to offload it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I never got the real impression from Ping that they were ever real serious, and that I never saw much in the way of any press or any announcements as far as like new features or anything. I know a couple of people that use it or have used it over the past couple of years or whatever. I'm not one of them. I, I may have an account. I'm not sure. But I've, I've just never seen them treat it like a real business, even though they've got half a million users. Active right, users. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And so I think that for that reason, I think they're, um, they have an enormous potential, but not either the motivation or the the know-how to take it to the next level. And so I think that's something that Seismic's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. I I hope it works out. I've, I've been I played a little bit with the Seismic client or the new Windows desktop client, and I really like it. And I I can see where something like this would add a lot of value to it. But I, I'm kind of curious to see how Seismic or I mean how Ping FM evolves from this. Yeah, I'm glad to see here that the the founders are joining the management team of Seismic. So they're not going away. They're still going to be highly involved in a little bit of the direction, which I think Seismic needed also. So they're getting good technology and good people. And um, I think it's a win-win for Seismic and what you're saying and, and and what you're saying about Ping FM, I actually think it's a win for them too. Like they get the cash out, they get to take some money off the table and they get to um, offload some of the responsibility. Yeah, I, I just wish that when st- stuff like this would happen, that they would say the amount that is changing hands as far as cash or stock or whatever. I mean, from the sounds of it, it was mostly a stock deal, which I've never been a big fan of buying companies with stock because you never know what that stock's going to be worth down the road. Yeah. but Well, I think it's uh, they're both private funded, I think. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And and Ping are both private, so that's why they don't have to disclose it. And for strategic region reasons, um, I understand why they wouldn't. Because um, like here, like in the TechCrunch article, it tells how much their funding is, and if you know how much they blew through for that acquisition, you can see at some points that they could be really vulnerable. So it it makes sense. Yeah, I I don't know. My my guess is somewhere. Probably between five and seven million is probably what Ping FM went for, but that that's just kind of a rough guess based on how many users they have. Yeah, well, it's they said half a million, so that's that's counting like that's over that's that's over ten dollars a user, which seems a little high. I would guess it's probably 
probably three to four dollars a user, which would give us close to two million dollars. I don't know what the current metric is, but it, I know at one point I heard that to have just kind of a rough estimate of how much you're worth or how much your service is worth or whatever, you can generally make ten bucks a head. So take how many ever users, multiply it by ten, and that's about what what your company's worth. But I'm I'm not sure. I I suppose that probably depends largely on what kind of a business you're into. But yeah, that's arbitrary. I would, but uh, they have a lot of users, and they said what in an average of uh, an average average user has ten networks that they use Ping FM to update. Uh huh. Um, what would make more sense is if, um, I don't think they have the money to do it, if this, if Posturus bought Ping FM, I thought that would be a really good combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would definitely be a good combination, but speaking of large amounts of money, yeah. apparently Avatar has made a billion dollars in just 17 days. Yeah, I think they did the math and said the taller the blue guys, the more money you make. And I think they they got the equation just right. Yeah, have you seen Avatar yet? Not yet. Actually, we almost saw it yesterday, um, but the time didn't work out, and so we saw Sherlock Holmes instead. Mm. How'd you like that? It was decent. It was a good movie. Yeah, that's what I thought. I think it needed more Rachel McAdams to be a great movie. (laughs) But... Yeah, I haven't seen Avatar yet either. Hopefully sometime this week or maybe this weekend or something like that. Maybe make a run to Colorado Springs and go see it at the IMAX because from what I hear, it's one of those movies that you just kind of need to see in 3D, especially at an IMAX. Well, I heard that the storyline is not the best. That's what I've the, heard. The visual effects are, you know, are you know high rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I, I, that's why I, I'm going to hold off to see it in 3D. There, There's uh, about three theaters here in Austin. I could go catch it uh, in 3D, but um, I'm going to make a make it a... a, a um, I'm trying to not watch it at night, try to get matinee prices, because it is, you know, there is an upsell for seeing it in 3D. Yeah, I just saw my first 3D movie, that being um, The Christmas Carol, I don't know, month two months ago, something like that. And I was amazed at just how big of a difference there is in price between the 2D and the 3D version. I think it was like four bucks a ticket or something like that. Yeah, it's 350 upcharge here. Yeah. Yeah, it's right in that neighborhood. I was kind of surprised, but I guess if you're getting that much extra, it's not too hard to hit a billion if you've got that much um, publicity around the movie. Yeah, it's already the third grossing ever uh, movie, and it hasn't been out that long. And it has, and and we still have uh, DVD sales after this. Um, and I'm not sure if this is a full international release. Also, I'm not sure if it's available worldwide. Uh, I know it was inv- available in Germany, but I'm not sure if it's uh, go- it's been released to all markets worldwide yet. Um, so I, I see Avatar, especially with people talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as they have, seeing it more than once too. So I think it's going to gross probably two billion before before it's done. Well, the whole DVD thing is kind of what I'm really wondering about, or even Blu-ray, is that there's very few 
if maybe any, TVs that are out right now that are 3D capable. And and I don't even think there's any DVDs or Blu-rays or anything that's even capable. I know they've got the spec for the Blu-ray version of 3D that's supposed to be announced this week at CES or something to that effect. But from my understanding of everybody saying this is that this is a movie that you have to see in 3D and the fact that nobody has anything in their homes that can play 3D, I'm kind of curious to see how sales of DVDs and Blu-ray discs are going to be for this just for that reason. Well, um, I think they said if you have a TV with like 120 hertz refresh rate uh, that you can get glasses that will will synchronize to 60 frames per eye uh, to, to get the 3D going. But yeah, I think those are rare still. And yeah, I don't think there's but a couple of those on the market. I think there's supposed to be more of those shown off at CES this year. But I don't think there's but just a couple that are out. Yeah, next, week, next year probably. I mean, 3D seems to be catching on. I'm seeing more and more and more 3D films. I always thought it was a gimmick. I didn't think it was going to catch on, but it seems like you know people are talking about them. So uh, this could be the revival of the block, uh, box office. Yeah, I'm still on the gimmick boat myself. I think it's kind of right there with the Nintendo Wii as far as the whole gimmick thing goes. And it's interesting for a little while, but in the end it's no real difference, I don't think. I don't think it makes any giant leaps like there could be. Yeah, I'll reserve judgment until I see it, and um, if if you see it this weekend and and I see it this weekend, we can talk about it about how our experience was next week. Next show. Yeah, it'll be. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I can kind of curious to see how it turns out, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of TV technology comes out of CES this week. That that should be interesting to see. I don't know. I can't decide if this is going to be an interesting CES or not. I mean, I've got some people that are all hyped up about it. Based on the PR spam that I've been getting, it seems it sounds like it's going to be pretty boring. Like most of it's just been real generic stuff. Oh, we have this revolutionary product. No one's ever done it before. Yet I can sit here and count the number of companies that actually have done it before. I mean, it just doesn't. There's no real reason to. Get me to CES, that's for sure. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, a lot of people are saying that because budgets were determined for CES last year, and that falls into their, you know, research and development. And it was a recession at the beginning of, uh, beginning of 09. So a lot of that product cycle development got scrapped for either cheaper versions or reevaluating what they currently have um, to defeature it to make it cheaper. And so I think that's probably what's going to rule CES. Less of this is what we're coming out in the future, or this is what we currently have, but this is a cheaper, more cost-effective version of it. Yeah, I, I think probably everybody, it sounds like everybody's kind of waiting to see what's going to come of the Apple event. And I, I think that whatever comes out of that is going to overshadow everything from CES combined. Yeah, but I'm but you know what this is leading up to like a really kick butt CES 2010 or 2011, sorry. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but hopefully they won't have any 2016 bugs around by then. 
Oh, yeah. So apparently, during the rollover from 2009 to, to 2010, um, there was, uh, some clocks actually rolled from 2009 to 2016 instead of 2010. Yeah, this seems like a real weird bug, and I have yet to figure out what actually causes it, or I haven't heard anything. But apparently there's been several phones that have had this bug where, like, text messages and stuff are getting sent with the date 2016 on them. I hear that primarily Windows Mobile phones, I think, like, 6.1 and 6.5 or something like that are suffering the most, but it seems to be on a number of phones. I haven't heard about any reports on iPhones or Android phones, but on a number of different phones, a number of different networks. I think I heard T-Mobile's okay, though. And there's even been some issues where down in Australia, it's kind of screwed up some payment processing stuff down there so that people can't um, process any kind of payments until a fix, at least a temporary fix, was had come out. The, the only thing I can think of is that, for some reason, uh, the max base number... Mm-hmm. or decimal got replaced with hexadecimal. For instance, if something goes from 9 to 10 in decimal, um, it's 10 is the biggest... Well, if you're, if you're doing 1 to 10, 10 is the biggest number, as opposed to 0 to 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do the same thing in hexadecimal, instead of 0 to 15, and you count 1 to 16... I'm thinking maybe it's something related to that. That's just a guess. Yeah, I figured it had to have something to do with something like that, but I wasn't exactly sure. And there hasn't been a single company so far that has come out to say, oh, hey, this is what it is. Here's a fix for it. Apparently there's one community fix for, some phone, for I think, some of the Windows mobile phones where instead of using the text message timestamp from whatever servers or the SMS gateway server, apparently it's using it from the actual time on the, or the date on the phone or whatever. But I don't know. I was, I'm kind of, whole thing kind of baffles me. Yeah. Uh, I hope they figure it out. Cause apparently it's really screwing up lives. And I think, um, things like this that continually pop up, also uh, puts people's faith in, or, or people lose their faith in technology. Which, I mean, you know, you can't put all your faith into it, but, you know, have some backup systems. And I think the, the, the problems, of course, are with people and not the technology. Well, it kind of reminds me of the whole um, Zoom bug from last year, where it had something to do with it being a leap year or something like that. Or maybe it was the year before. I think, I'm pretty sure it was last year where Zooms wouldn't work for an entire day because of whatever bug in the um, date software that, or the part of the software that deals with the date of the system. It, it just kind of yeah. reminds me of that bug a little bit. Yeah, but that was only for a day and it kind of worked its, uh, its way out. But And it's an MP3 player, not financial transactions. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's kind of a big difference. Yeah. But, yeah. Speaking of MP3 players, I gotta haul my iPod Touch up to the um, Apple Store, probably up in Springs here sometime this week. There's something 
that has gone wrong with the headphone jack in it, where I have to really push my headphones at an angle just so it makes contact with whatever inside. Otherwise, I don't get any audio out of the left ear for some reason. It's a really strange little thing. Mm, that sucks. Uh, uh, it makes me kind of think about going for a Zoom HD because I, I found that with like a Bing cash back and whatever, I could get it from like Tiger Direct for like 230 bucks or something like that, which that's not bad. Yeah, I kind of want one, but the, the killer feature is not in it, so I, I'm I'm holding off. Yeah, it, I think it's from what I've heard, it's a whole lot better than the original Zoom, and I'd like to get it anyway, just because the audio quality on the iPod Touch isn't really up to even the Zoom One quality, and and that's that's kind of what I would really prefer. But speaking of things where quality isn't quite what it should be. Thanks to Microsoft's Internet Explorer's quality not being where it should be, they've lost even more market share. And what's really surprising is that Chrome has overtaken Safari. Yeah, that is very surprising. I think probably um, how Chrome was really uh, was really apparent appear, um, Chrome is, is is at least came first on the PC as opposed to Safari is mainly uh, an Apple browser or for for Macintosh systems, and so I think just where they started, I think that gave them a really good boost. And of course, it's it's Google; they have a really good push. Um, what what I heard the other day is that Microsoft is starting to talk top uh, talk up uh, Internet Explorer nine. Uh, and and trying to say, hey, look at this. This is a, a decent uh, browser now. So I think that the 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 fail success, the fail releases. I wouldn't say failed. I mean, they're decent browsers. They made good improvements between the two, but I don't think they're making the leaps and bound changes that um, all the other browsers are. Like if you see an update for IE, it's just a security update. You never see any feature enhancements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've. Well, I think it was back at um, PDC where they announced IE9 and talked a little bit about some of the things that they would have in it, which the only thing that really stood out to me was having support for um, GPU processing, so it would be offloading stuff to the GPU instead of having everything on the CPU, which is nice, but I'm not sure how necessary that really is going to be all that much anymore just because now with at least with flash the 10.1 beta it's moved at least some of the um, load off onto the GPU and Microsoft's own Silverlight has um, GPU support as well so I'm not sure how beneficial that's really going to be yeah but uh, but I mean this is good for everyone. Competition is good. Um, this is going to move the bar for everyone. And so, Inter Explorer got pushed by Firefox. I heard this on BOL today. Inter Explorer gets gets pushed by Firefox, and Firefox is getting pushed by Chrome. And hopefully, this will push Safari and then Opera, and they're all push each other, and we end up with uh, one uh, with the renewed focus on compatibility because you can't. You can't be guaranteed that you're there, the person's going to be running IE or Firefox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and two, um, 
closer to web standards, which uh, is something that will help everyone, especially um, when you start to count mobile phones using the web. Uh, so uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know, a year from now we look at this and and we, and we can say, I remember when we had all these browsers. Most You have consult, contr contraction and expansion. Right now our expansion we're expanding, and probably like in the next two, three years, we're going to have another contraction, and we're going to be down to one or two major players. Yeah, I look forward to see um, kind of how Opera is going to do here in the next, I don't know, six months or so. Because I saw a benchmark, I think it was last week, for the new version of Opera that they're working on. That I, I think it's an alpha or something like that. But the benchmarks that they were showing is that it was like six or eight times faster than Chrome is, which is just kind of mind-blowing. But I, I, I still don't see why a lot of people use Chrome, just because as far as I can tell, it's still not a fully featured browser as far as it doesn't have all the nice bookmarking stuff. I can't right-click an image and set it to my desktop wallpaper. And there's just a lot of stuff that they, it doesn't have in there. I don't know if it's because they want it to feel real stripped down and fast and easy or whatever, but to me I view a more fully featured browser more than I do something that's just a cleaner looking browser. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I, 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 now that Chrome has plugins, I might look into it again, but I, I'm used to Firefox. I'm used to the way that the release cycle goes, um, and uh, it, they actually tout uh, and and a tell about their their backwards compatibility with um, previous versions, maybe not with plugins, but with um, websites as in rendering. They test all that, um, and even though Google is a big company, they're all not for being evil. I don't think they're as open as I like to know, um, you know, what bugs they have outstanding, uh, what their um, what their timeline is for improvements, I think they're too secretive, especially with the 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 Macintosh release and how they're saying, "Oh, it's coming soon," and it and it took forever. Mm -hmm. That that just doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, I've never been a real big fan of that. And as far as browsers go, my favorite browser is Opera. The only reason I use Firefox is because of the awesome bar. That that is the single only reason why I still use Firefox. If I could put that in Opera, I would be gone from Firefox tonight if I could. And the only other functionality I like in Firefox, and this is from a plugin that I have. It's called I believe it's. Uh, uh, I want to make sure I don't screw the name up on this because it's probably the best plugin for Firefox there is. It's called Tree Style Tab. It, basically, instead of having all your tabs open at the top and things kind of getting crunched as you get more tabs and everything, it, it you can open all your tabs up and they're open on the sides and they're like in a tree-style view, so, so it's a whole lot easier to manage and organize your tabs and everything. And that would be nice to have on Opera 2. Uh, there may be a plug-in or something for it, but that's not as important to me as the awesome bar is. But that is the only reason I haven't moved entirely to Opera. That and once in a great while, there's still some 
strange rendering things with Opera. Not very often. I, I believe with this new version that they're working on, Opera is supposed to be getting like... Um, uh, oh, now I can't even think of it. It's supposed to get allow for like rounded... Um, for uh, I can't think of the technical term. It's radius something or other. Where like you'll have... When you have boxes like on... Um, like a WordPress administrator side. Right now, everything is real square, but once the new version comes out, they'll have like the rounded corners like you'd see on Firefox and stuff. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Opera is the best, and if it wasn't for the awesome bar, I would leave for it tomorrow. But then again, maybe I tend to be a little bit more impressed with the stuff than they do than middle-aged people. Oh, yeah. So... If you're older, uh, let's see, what is this, 35 to, uh, where is that? 54. 35 to 54, you become uh, less impressed with the pace of technological advancement, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, well, apparently when you were growing up at a time watching the Jetsons and stuff and think about that being the future, I can kind of see how they are kind of disappointed in just how far we've come. I I think it's what we grew up with when we were kids. We grew up with really good sci-fi, and I think that's poisoned our brain of what to expect or what's possible. (laughs) When when older people grew up, sci-fi was still kind of more fantasy than uh, a precursor to what's to come. And when I grew up, I fully expected that half the things that I saw would eventually happen uh, in some form or another. And I think that's where the, some of the disappointment um, has come from from that age. And and I, I think you know when you're talking about the uh, older people, I think it's probably skewed towards the the, the half of the 35 probably to. 45 is probably more skeptic or, or or jaded than the 45 to 54, if I had to guess. Well, I'd be kind of curious to see some numbers as far as, like, the amount of hours people spend by age working, like, on the Internet or with various um, technology devices and stuff, and to see kind of how that interacts with these particular numbers, because I bet you'd see younger people spending more time with this stuff, and maybe they're a little bit more impressed, whereas the older people don't spend as much time, so they aren't as impressed because they don't know all of what's going on. Oh, so they don't track up with the pace of technology, thus they don't realize how much, how fast it's improving and moving because they're not in the flow. They're on the shore watching it go by. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, the, I don't know. I, I've never yet found a study that I really like that doesn't seem to be missing some kind of information that I think would be really crucial to know. Mm-hmm. And I would say that this study is from Zogby International is no exception. I'm not sure if it's the study or it's just the reporting of the study. Uh, I, I think people are just cherry-picking the data and, and not giving some of the most... Uh, the pretty chunks, I should say. Yeah. yeah. I wish... I don't know. They need to do a better job of, like, 
pointing out some exactly all of the study or where I can find all the study. Because I mean, if I click on the link, uh, in this case, this is an Engadget article. If I click on the link to the Zogby International, they give me this thing that's all of about four paragraphs long that has some numbers in it, but nothing worthy of an actual study or whatever itself. So, you know, I, I just have issues with studies. But yeah. speaking of studies or something or surveys or whatever that show odd things, apparently Steve Jobs is the person of the decade. Yeah, this is on Smart Money, smartmoney.com, so that, that, that tells you what kind of people who made up this list. Yeah, it's part of the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, so so you have to look up look at business people who are obsessed with money, which is you know true that Steve Jobs made a crap ton of money for Apple, mm. and two uh, when you talk about the markets, it, it's very very emotional. People feel down, the market goes down. People feel positive, the market goes up, and people get that impression with Steve Jobs. They feel that. You know, they make them. He makes people feel good. So I think those two, in combination, is why he got named the person of the decade. Yeah, ever since his return, and I'm not talking about his return since his operation, but his big return, there's been a 700 percent increase in Apple's stock value. So I I can kind of understand I can understand it from that point, but I think that something like this you need to look at it a little from a little bit more. Or a little bit wider of a lens than just how much money they made or how much stock value they've increased. I mean, second place was Warren Buffett with 17% of the vote, and after that was Bill Gates, which had like 9% of the vote. And as far as I'm concerned, Bill Gates has had far more of an impact than Warren Buffett ever will. Well, you don't know that. Warren Puffett, when he kicks, most of his money is going to the Bill Gates Foundation. Yeah. Well, and even the... Apparently, Warren Buffett even got more of a vote than Sergey and Larry did. Because apparently they only got 13% of the vote. Or no, that was Ben Bernanke that got 13% of the vote. Which, why he yeah. got much of any of the vote, I don't understand at all. <laughs> but um, apparently, Larry and Sergey got twelve percent of the vote. Yeah, this is probably this is one of those closed room elections. Um, so I, I think, for most part, uh, like they probably got a lot of their readership, but the people who decided this, as I said, Wall Street types. So I, um, they they voted with their emotions of who they liked, and they followed this industry. So. To them, this is just a reflection of the people who read the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I, I still think that stuff like this needs to be taken as an overall glance of a person's accomplishments or whatever, rather than just their what they've done to the stock price. But at least none of those people are going to go to jail for what they report. Well, that is if they choose to reveal their sources, like... Um, like the two bloggers who reported on the TSA's uh, new enhanced security measures after the the pants bomber on, on Christmas tried to blow up a plane, 
apparently the TSA dropped by Homeland Security and said, hey, where'd you get this info? Give it up. Yeah, this has been one crazy story I've been following it all week. Stephen Fleshling and, or excuse me, Frischling and Chris Elliott, which I don't know if one or both of them are a couple of travel writers. They write for a number of different places. I think uh, Frischling writes for um, like the New York Times and a number of other big publications. Well, apparently they got some anonymous email from just supposedly a random Gmail account saying or giving them, basically forwarding them the memo that the TSA sent to all the airlines and all the airports, basically I think like 11,000 people or something like that for the new um, airline rules that were just kind of in effect until the end of Jan or end of December. And so apparently they went ahead and posted these rules, which of course then the rest of the blogosphere copied and posted themselves. Um, but apparently the TSA didn't care for it too much, so they went to their house and told them to hand over the source, and they ended up getting subpoenas, taking laptops and hard drives and all kinds of stuff, just to try and track down whoever it was that sent this um, anonymous email to that would get the word spread about all these new security measures, which really I don't think was that big of a deal anyway. But And now they've gone back and rescinded all of their... Uh, oh, now just lost the word. Just said it a second ago. Subpoena. There we go. What, they, what, what's, what uh, was important to say is that in this article, it says that Stephen uh, Frischling uh, basically gave up immediately his source. He handed over his computer saying, here, take it, take a look. That's that's who sent it to me, but uh, Chris Elliott is the one who held out and didn't didn't give it up. And uh, Mike Michael Errington wrote this article, and he really chastises Stephen for giving up his source and saying, oh, you, you didn't do the honorable thing and hold out. Which, I don't think he's in a position to make that judgment on someone else's reasons for giving up their source. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he cites that you know he wants to make sure that his sources trust him and that there's and that they won't be given up in any sort of way. But I, I mean, uh, I, 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 there you can't say in all circumstances you will never give up a source. Um, like the threat of you know getting your passport taken away or being on a do not fly list can really really hamper someone's life and. Um, could possibly made this guy uh, unhirable to to companies, which I'm not saying that he should have given it up. I'm not saying he 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 was well intentioned and he should have given it up. I'm not taking either side of he shouldn't or he should have given it up. I'm just saying everyone has a price and no one knows the exact circumstances. And so I I think unless you're in that situation, you can't make that judgment. Yeah, and I know for me personally, I probably wouldn't have given it up. But then again, I have no real desire to fly with all the new rules anyway. So if they put me on a no-fly list, I really don't care. But um, anyway, the, the real big issue here, I think, is the whole freedom of the press thing. And that blogging is not 
necessarily seen in at least as as a whole as media like you would have for a newspaper or TV news station or a radio um, news station, something like that. And so I don't think that there's a lot of so I think there's a lot of gray area in terms of like the shield laws and stuff that protect that protect like newspaper writers for for and their sources compared to bloggers. And I, I think that once that gets kind of figured out, and I believe there's a movement started now to actually try and get these um, shield blobs and protections and stuff for bloggers, uh, I think that until that happens, I wouldn't be too surprised to see more stuff like this, although I, it was pretty clear that the TSA was kind of heavy-handed on this, and I, it didn't take them long to change their mind. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm glad that it became public. Um, that their threats made it to to the public, and everyone knew, you know, how heavy-handed the TSA has been. And I do appreciate the article from Michael Arrington um, stating his position on this. Uh, we disagree, and maybe the decision, but um, and the tyranny of government is a little harsh. Um, but you can't expect the government not to ask where you got the information. Um, but anyway, I digress. Yeah, well, if anybody wants to send me some information, I promise not to reveal my sources, so feel free to send me any information you want, and I'll pass it along, assuming I find that it's newsworthy. Right, if you send me something, no guarantees. Yeah, if you just send me... Links to Goatsy or something like that. That's not newsworthy. I'm not going to pass that along. <laughs> Never going to give you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But speaking of things that are a little on the obscene side, apparently China is cracking down on internet porn and arresting thousands of people. 500,394,000 to be exact. Yeah, 5,394. Oh, yeah. Yeah, three hundred ninety-four. Sorry, <laughs> and that's on top of over nearly forty-two hundred cases that are already in the works, with more arrests expected. Yeah, this is they've 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 probably um, I don't know how many of these cases are are gonna stick because apparently they have a pretty hefty bounty. Was it one to two thousand dollars or two thousand yuan um, um, for reporting someone who is suspected of doing uh running an illegal pornography f- site or being involved in it so porn is highly frowned upon in china and they think it's the downfall of some of their societies so they're really 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 trying to eliminate porn well that's what i've never understood is why they're as against porn as they are and it's never made a whole lot of sense to me that you'd be so against it that you're arresting people by the thousands I see how it could be a problem, especially in China. If you look, um, if you remember the college days, and if you ever gone to college with someone who had really, really strict parents, mm-hmm. and they they are let loose on their own in college, and they just go to the other extreme, I have a feeling that could be how porn is in China. Of course, I'm making assumptions. I have no experience whatsoever. Um, but it could be if it's a highly restricted society and then you have something that's totally the opposite of that, 
that you might have some severe porn addiction, like the same reason why you hear about a lot of game addiction. Uh, it's because it's an outlet that otherwise um, people didn't have uh, access to. Um, but I think this is just, if that is the case, it, it's just the reason why things are more restrictive uh, that in China is causing this problem. Yeah, it's, I don't know, still doesn't make that much sense to me, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess if you're planning any trips to China anytime soon, I wouldn't be viewing porn while you're there. Yeah, yeah, download it before you go there and save it locally. Yeah, well, who knows, you may get one of those inspections as you enter or leave the country on your laptop or whatever to see what you've got on there. Right, encrypt it, because if you're on the internet, people can find you, no matter if you're in the United States, China, or even Canada. See, when it comes to traveling, I generally try and travel with as fresh of system as I have, so I don't have my mountain of pirated stuff on there or anything. And then if I want something, I can do like a VPN tunnel back to home and get whatever I want in the store. I don't really have to worry about all that stuff, but that's just kind of the precautions I take for stuff like that. Yeah. But then again, I'm not as... I tend to be a little bit more security conscious than some people who let themselves be found in WoW to be arrested. Yeah, I'm guessing that the drug dealers are not as internet savvy as others to realize um, that they can be found if they're continuously on the internet, and especially if you're on WoW and log in regularly. Yeah, this is a. I was kind of surprised when I came across this story. Apparently, there's a fugitive that basically skipped the country. Alfred Hightower. Yeah, uh, Alfred Hightower, and apparently the um, sheriff or whatever had been looking for him and realized that he skipped the country or whatever. Well, the sheriff started to go around to his community of friends and stuff and see if they knew of anything about where he is or anything like that. Well, apparently some of them knew that he liked to, that this um, fugitive liked to play WoW. Well, I guess the sheriff decided to send a... Um, oh, no, I can't think of... It's more of a request for information. He didn't have the legal authority to um, to actually re- require them to su- submit the information, but he sent a nice letter to EA, or sorry, was it Blizzard? Blizzard. And... Um, so nice letter to Blizzard telling him the situation, and he thought nothing of it after a few months of uh, no response. But Blizzard decided to come through and supply with the IP address, his servers he likes to play, uh, his schedule, all the kind of information he ever needed, and, and more. Um, and he was able to, with the help of the IP address, find the exact location where he was and go and arrest him and then extradite him to the United States. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. I mean, I've heard of people getting tracked down over the internet and stuff all the time. I've even tracked down some people myself. And it's amazing what you can find and how easy it is to track down somebody. But I've never heard of anybody being tracked down through a game before. I don't I don't think it. It seems like maybe there was people that have been tracked down through Xbox Live. 
But this is, but I know this is the first WoW story I've heard like this. Yeah, well, it's a good story, not just because he got found over the internet. I mean, uh, basically Blizzard did most of the work to say, oh, here he is. I found him on Blizzard. I mean, I found him on WoW. But the tenacity of the detective to do all the interviews, to do all the footwork, to get all the information, to, to actually try to understand the psyche of the person he was pursuing to make this uh, to make this this uh, this psychological profile to know that it was pretty reliable that he's probably going to be on WoW and and he's probably going to be in Canada. I, I, I applaud him for doing the due diligence to to find the guy and to um, not backing down and being able to to bring people to justice. Justice. I mean, if you break the law, if you can't just skip town. Or even skip the country and expect to be safe. I I, I think this is a, actually a really good story. Yeah, this is a good story. I'm kind of surprised at just how much information that Blizzard gave to him, especially considering the fact that the sheriff had no authority or anything. That this was just kind of a, will you please give give me the information? I'm I'm kind of surprised how quickly Blizzard gave over the information. I mean, it took them several months, but how much information they gave over when they didn't have to mm-hmm. makes you kind of nervous about whether or not you really want to have much to do with Blizzard if they're going to give up your information that quickly. True. Um, but, at, least, uh, at least the server was up for the guy to play. <laughs> yeah. This next story is the, is the primary reason, among many... Why I hate electronic arts. Right. Apparently, they've decided, and this is seems to be about kind of a yearly thing, to go through and close the multiplayer servers for 20 games, or 20 different titles on various systems, including games like Madden 07 for the 360, 08 for the the Wii and the PC, 09 for the Xbox, the Wii and the PSP, the 360 and the PS3. So basically, Madden 09 is gone in terms of multiplayer support entirely. Yeah. Um, same for like NBA 07 for the PSP 360, NBA 08 for the PS2, PSP, Wii. I mean, basically, it's primarily sports titles: NBA, Madden, NASCAR, NCAA, NHL, Tiger Woods, stuff like that. But it amazes me that they can get away with cutting off multiplayer support when stuff is only like a year old, like the Madden 09. Yeah, and if they're touting uh, maybe lack of um, user base that use the online service, that's even a better reason why not to shut it down. Uh, Because they can just consolidate it into virtual servers or something like that, or maybe even outsource it. Uh, Give up the code so so that uh, maybe um, one of their affiliates can choose to run, run run the servers... It, it's it's when someone buys a game, they're especially nowadays they are requiring or counting on the online um, the online component. Especially when you talk about a lot of these are team sports, mm-hmm. like Madden. That's football. You like to play with all your friends. NBA. You like to play with your friends. Uh, even NASCAR. You want to stay competitive with trying to race some of the fastest people out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a shame and. Um, I hope people, you know, think twice before they buy a game that has an online component from EA. 
Yeah, this is why I almost never buy any games from EA. I mean, if I get any games from EA, they tend to be for the PSP. And largely for this reason, I don't legally get them for the PSP. Um, that's one of the main reasons I solve custom firmware on my PSP, is so that I don't have to do legal things like that and mess with EA. But, yeah, the, I mean, you look at all the other gaming companies, you look at, like, Blizzard or Microsoft with their games and stuff, I mean, they'll have um, these multiplayer servers up for many years after, I and mean, you can still play, like, Age of Empires games if you want to, well... I don't know how much Age of Empires is on the original stuff and how much is like now on GameSpy. A lot of the gaming servers have moved to GameSpy over the years anyway, but still, there's still multiplayer support for these games, whether the original company's still doing it or if they've pushed it off onto GameSpy or whatever. But just to cut it off completely after you've spent 60 bucks for a game... That kind of is like a big screw you to the customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I wonder who, what is the executive decision that that, that caused this to happen. Um, if they should probably have a little bit more disclosure, especially these '09 titles, '09 mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, I know. I like I said, most of the games and stuff, as far as, like, when it comes to sports games for EA, I mostly get them on the PSP. That's... When they started doing this thing where they would start shutting down older servers or whatever, that was pretty much the point when I went from buying the games to pirating the games. Yeah, I can understand maybe on some old platforms, but, you know, PS3, Xbox 360, like, PS3, (laughs) I mean, these are new platforms, new games. You're like, yeah, we're just done with it. We made the money. We don't think we're going to sell that many more copies, so we'll just cash in and, and, and be done with it. I wonder if this is, you know, a sign that EA may be going out of business. I don't know if it's so much about that. As I, I think this is kind of a way of trying to cut off the second-hand game sales market. Because if people... Well, this is going to cut off their first-hand game market. Yeah, to an extent, but I mean... If you have all these games that they can't play multiplayer on anymore, that's basically going to keep places from, like, GameStop from selling them or being able to charge a halfway reasonable amount for them to make some money off of it if one of the largest components of the game isn't even available anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I, if I was a GameStop also... I. Uh, I'd be a little wary of even carrying EA titles because of you know if you have a loyal customer base, do you do you want you, if, if you're looking out for them, the customer? I would I would consider not carrying it just to just for to increase customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've, I'm kind of fully on board with the various boycotting of EA movements that there are. As far as I'm concerned, the only um, franchise that I still care about is Command & Conquer, and with the absolute mess that they've turned that into with Command & Conquer 4, which I'm in the private beta or whatever on, there's absolutely no way I'll even support that franchise anymore. 
And for me to give up on that franchise, that that's saying something. Because I've been following that franchise. I've been a men- member of the Command and Conquer community, creating content and stuff for... Oh, gee, I don't know. It's got to be getting real close to 10 years now, and I'm done with it, with the stupid stuff that they're doing. Yeah. But anyway, you can find all of those stories and much more at globalgeeknews.com. And don't forget, you can find our tips of the week at globalgeeknews.com. This week we have two tips. I decided that from now on, instead of just doing one tip a week, just do a couple, just whatever I happen to find. But the first one is top 10 mind hacks for making your New Year's resolution stick. Doing things like rolling 12 hab- habits into one resolution or distracting yourself at a moment of temptation, especially that goes for you that are looking to diet in the new year. Or you can create some sort of a reminder network or just pick one resolution to stick with or use a timer and utilize public shame. This is the one that I... I find the most interesting basically i've seen ideas i think there is a there's a new wi-fi scale out there that when you step on it or whatever it'll tweet your weight well if you start gaining weight instead of losing weight everybody can tweet back and try and get you to go back the other direction and i think that using the whole idea of public shame like that's a great way to stick to some resol- some of your resolutions but also that you can set up do things like set up a schedule to review your resolutions and think about your progress and not your perfection stuff like that and then for the other tip of the week it's four stages on growing a blog basically it'll get you from getting established to traffic growth to maturity and monetization or monetization and maintenance and there's a couple other tips too so if you're looking to start a blog or have a blog that you're looking for some help with that would be definitely something to check out again you can find those links in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com but don't forget you can check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog where we cover a number of other tech related issues and I plan on doing a fair at least some interesting CES coverage on there again I won't be at CES but whatever I happen to come across in terms of coverage I will cover the coverage but anyway if for those that happen to have any questions comments um, suggestions for the show feel free to drop them or drop me a line at pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com or you can always shoot me a tweet I am at pcnerd37 or better yet shoot one to at globalgeeknews that is the primary globalgeeknews twitter account or you can even send them to Wesley if you want, which is Wesley83. Yes, Wesley83 on Twitter. And uh, I think this week I'll, again, forego begging for donations. Maybe next week we'll do that, but we're a little on the crunched for time side. I think we're sitting right about an hour, so anything you care to wrap up with? Uh, no, I- uh, as I ended the last podcast saying thank you to our listeners for 2009, I'm welcoming all new users for 2010. Love to have you and uh, glad to meet you. Yes, thanks to all our new years, users, or listeners, I should say. We are growing in leaps and bounds. And if you want to thank us for the great content that we create, 
feel free to subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends and your family and even just random people on the street about the show. Just do whatever you can to help the show grow. But anyway, that's all we have for this week. Don't forget to check out globalgeeknews.com, and we will see you guys next week with hopefully a new intro and outro. Later. <laughs>